How you doing? You all right? There you are. Welcome to Thursday's Richie Allen Show, live from BBG Towers in Salford. It's coming up for five o'clock. In fact, it's just striking five now. I'm with you for as long as I'm with you. It's me and you today. Lots to talk about, but it's just you and me. You can talk to me through the website richieallen.co.uk. Do it now. Welcome, one and all, to Thursday's programme. It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen Show, live from the magnificent city of Salford. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Yeah, just having a sip of water there. It's Thursday's programme, I've already said that, and there's much to talk about over the course of the next hour, 90 minutes, hour and 45 minutes. I didn't time it, so I have no idea. But I'm glad to be with you. To be with you, I'm glad. Let's just uh, kill the tune or the theme there and get chatting. Misha Augustusa, that's Gaelic. It isn't Gaelic, no such thing. Gwelga. For you and me, Misha Augustusa. There you are. You learned something new today. I have to say this. Um, I, I've seen a lot of comment online today about a Christmas ad made by the Norwegian Postal Service, which features Santa, Santa Claus. What do they call Santa where you come from? Because it varies depending on where you are. Father Christmas, Saint Nicholas, Saint Nick, Santa, Santi. Santi, they call him in some parts of Ireland. Santi. Well, the Norwegian Postal Service has made a Christmas ad where Santa is a pillow biter. <laughs> That's me gone. Uh, Santa is gay in this Christmas ad. And people are up in arms about it. A lot of content around that today. It's not as if it's been a quiet news day. There's been plenty going on. But many radio programmes filling time with gay Santa conversations. People are up in arms about it. Whatever happened to free speech and artistic impression, you know? Artistic expression, Richie. Whatever happened to artistic expression, freedom of speech, you're either in favour of that or you're not. You have the right to be cheesed off because somebody has portrayed Santa as a gay boy. But you can't say they shouldn't have made the ad, can you? Free speech in totality. Or not at all, really. Hey, let me tell you this. I watched a short film for the first time in years last night, and I'm glad I did. It's Hayden Hewitt's new short film called Unseen. Now, he asked me to take a look at it last night. It drops. I'm down with the lingo. It drops tomorrow on the YouTube channel. I'm going to put all the information on the website tomorrow morning, by the way. That's my website. So he says, Richie, take a look at this film, Unseen. Now, Hayden is very, very, very gifted. And at one time, a couple of decades ago, worked in the film business and did lots and lots of things and is is incredibly talented. If you remember the old Richie Allen television programme way back when, look at that now and look how good that looks with the most basic of equipment at that time. That was all down to Hayden Hewitt. He's a bit of a genius. So he made this short film last night. He said, Richie, give us your thoughts on it. Now, he did not ask me to review it for this programme or even to recommend it. But I'm going to recommend it because it's a beautiful looking film. 
It really is beautiful. It's about a homeless chap musing on his situation, how he ended up where he is, how he lives, how he goes about his life, and how he is unnoticed or unseen. Now, making any film or even any programme about homeless people is a risky endeavour because it's easy to succumb to cliché and to lazy stereotypes, but he doesn't, Hayden, and he's written and directed this short film. There's nothing clichéd or stereotypical about it. In fact, it's a very fresh look at homelessness, and it asks a lot of questions, and refreshingly, it doesn't answer any of them. It leaves it up to you. I can't say too much without giving it, giving it away, but it leaves all possibilities out there for you, including that there's nothing wrong with ignoring homeless people controversially. Now, that's not what the film says at all. It, it throws lots of questions out there. It's gorgeous looking, it's beautifully edited, and the sound is terrific, and I love a bit of sound. And some really good performances from the three main... Well, there's an actor and two actresses in it, so it's lovely. It's called Unseen. Watch it tomorrow. I'll post it on the website. I'd like you to watch it and share your thoughts with our good friend, Hayden Hewitt, whom you find much to disagree with. But you have to love him because nobody works harder to platform programmes like this one than Hayden Hewitt, despite the fact that he would see things, uh, you know, very differently to me and to you on many issues. It's why I love the man. And that isn't a sycophantic review now. It is a beautiful looking film. And I do recommend you watch it. It's called Unseen. It's six minutes past the hour. Do you know what I'm going to do before we get into the news or the nuacht? There's another Irish word for you now, nuacht. I'm going to take a tune because it's going to be a little bit more laid back this afternoon. What tune have I got lined up? Well, I've only got the boss. Bruce the Boss Springsteen. Hey, did you get your Garth Brooks tickets? Did you in Dublin or in Waterford or in Cork? Did you Garth Brooks playing Croke Park three times next year? Did you get them, did you? The Croke Park residents are not happy at all. I'll be Jesus. They don't want any part of Garth. Here's Brucey. The wonderful Susie Tyrell on the violin there, or the fiddle. Grand Susie, which are fiddling there. And the late great Clarence... Clemens on sax, Bruce Springsteen's waiting, waiting on a sunny day from the Rising album on uh, the Richie Allen show today. Uh, Jean-Anne has given me belly laughs there. That's uh, the great Jean-Anne Crowley. She said to me this morning over the email thingy, she said, I've never seen anything so ridiculous. The, the, the news media in Ireland are interviewing people in the virtual queue for Garth Brooks tickets. Is they're interviewing people in the virtual queue. Is <laughs> they're talking to people online in the cybersphere who are queuing up. Jean Ann says to me she is number 37,000 at the moment in the queue for Garth Brooks tickets. Now that's not too bad because I'm guessing Croke Park, it was Morning Ireland, says Jean Ann, Morning Ireland. Croke Park would hold. Around about 85,000 people. That's for a hurling match or, or a Gaelic football match. Now, it'll probably be a bit less for a concert. So maybe 60,000 maybe. I, I could be wrong. I'm not speaking from experience. 60,000. Uh, no, she's not. She's not. It wasn't Jean Ann. She's not queuing. She's not. She is. She's 37,004. That's right. That's right. Uh, now, look. Uh, 
60,000 times 380,000. If you're 37,000 in the queue, you'll get a ticket. You'll be all right. But she's grown out of Garth. That's Jean Anne. She went to see him years ago when he first, when he first burst onto the scene in the late 80s, early 90s. He was massive then. I think she went with Paul McGuinness to watch him in Dublin and they were, they were very impressed. So they were. Now, now to more serious matters, by the way. 27 people heading for the UK drowned near Calais after their boat sank, according to the French, right, or French authorities. The local prosecutor there in Calais has said that seven women and three children are among the dead, while two people have been rescued. There isn't very much known about the dead, including where they came from, or what in fact caused the boat to capsize. So the French police have made five arrests in connection with it, with the fatal crossing. You've heard today, presumably, from the UK PM Boris Johnson and the French President Emmanuel Macron. They said that they would do everything possible to stop the criminal gangs, the trafficking gangs, from doing these things in the future. That's what they're saying. Now, 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 because I like, I like every opinion to be aired. I know, inevitably that some of our friends and some of our listeners will say, well, this didn't happen, Baldy. Baldy, come here, come here and tell you. This was staged to further another agenda. Okay, I get that. I get that opinion will be out there. And I can't waste any time arguing with you because I don't know that you're wrong, if that's what you think. But you don't know that, if that is what you think. But I'm just acknowledging that some of you will be saying it. I haven't seen the bodies. I saw a couple of bodies over the years during the course of my time as a journalist and it's not pleasant. But but look, boats can and do capsize and people can and do drown. And people are trying to cross the channel regularly in boats that, well, let's put it this way, Wiley Coyote has made better vehicles than some of the boats that cross the channel today. So it's possible, right? But I hear you when you say you don't believe it. But anyway, it's um, it's to cause an outcry and to garner public support for the migrants. Some of you are already telling me. Fair enough, if that's what you think. Now, the reporting on this, of course, is interesting. And it's important that we talk a little bit about it. The gaslighting that goes on and how, I think I might have said this too many times, even for you, but how complex issues are reduced by the media to very simple absolutes and to binary choices. It's important that we consider these things. Okay, let's listen to James O'Brien, LBC. Not in the way we normally... This is too easy. It's like shooting fish in a barrel, taking down James O'Brien. There isn't a bigger idiot in global media. And I don't just mean global media, which owns LBC. I mean the world's media. He's an idiot, it's too easy. But just have a listen, because O'Brien today is echoing here the sentiments of many a presenter. Lots of presenters were doing this type of thing today, reducing complex issues and very serious issues, with which are multifaceted, down to very simple absolutes. Here is the David Brent of the airwaves. On mornings like this, I always find myself wondering... Why some people look at these tragedies and think they're but for the grace of God go I, 
and other people, I'm going to reach for the extremity of this position, and other people think, oh, good, they're dead. <laughs> yeah, David Brent, right? Uh, who? Who thinks, oh, good, they're dead? Name names, maybe. Who or whom will be glad that 27 people are dead, if indeed that is what happened? Right, so, yeah, there was a lot of this today, and... Because some of the rhetoric you see and some of the rhetoric you hear and some of the rhetoric you read leaves that elephant in the room always, doesn't it? We can't do this and we can't do that and they shouldn't do this and they shouldn't do that. What do you actually want to happen to these people? Give us an idea of the rhetoric. Give us some exact quotes about the rhetoric that is disgusting and that is typical. Give us exact quotes from, from, from real people. But we don't get any. That dreadful woman who polluted public life for a period not that long ago actually said it out loud, called them cockroaches and talked about gunboats, actually actually seeking and celebrating the, the sort of deaths that we saw overnight. You know that the cleverer ones, the ones that are still moving in the British media, the ones that still talk about returning to British politics, they never actually say that bit out loud. But they Name them. They know exactly what sort of feelings they are spawning and exactly what sort of hatreds. 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 Name them. Who are these people you speak of? They are feeding when they just stop shy of saying, I hope they die. And Who is it in the British media that you think is self-censoring himself or herself? Who is it that you think wants to say, I hope they die, but holds back and doesn't? Name them. And then they do die. And you don't have to dig deep into social media to find people celebrating, even tragically on websites and social media accounts of established media outlets. Again, give us some proof of that. Give us some evidence that on the websites of established media outlets there are people celebrating the death or deaths of 27 people. Of course he doesn't because he's making it up. But this is not to demonise O'Brien today because right across the media there was a lot of this type of talk. Not really talking about the issue. Talking about how, how people feel about it. You know, are you upset that 27 people died or do you not give an arse kind of a thing? So when... The humanity meets the veil of ignorance. I have this theory that you can make doing the right thing selfish. I think that if you listen to people like me and think that he's an idiot who doesn't know what he's talking about and, and he lives in a middle-class bubble and he hasn't got a refugee living in his spare bedroom, you, you, you don't realise that you're already a bit broken in a way. You're already seeing it through the lens of difference. You're already not capable of doing the there but for the grace of God go I. But don't think that people like me are virtue signalling, if you like that phrase. Or But you are. And and when you say that, that people might say to you, you're a middle class arsehole who doesn't have a refugee in your back bedroom, what, what does that even mean? What, what people might say to you is that the impact of uncontrolled migration has little or no impact on you whatsoever because you're a millionaire your wife is a millionaire you live in Chiswick in London in a massive house and your employment is not going to be threatened your position in life your ability to put food on your table to clothe your children and to pay your rent is not going to be threatened by the influx of 30, 40, 50,000 migrants a year into the country. 
That's what they really mean, you know? Or condescending to you, if you prefer that one, or indeed sort of naive, out-of-touch liberals who don't understand what reality is. I would like to live in a world where fleeing horror is easier. We'll get to the horror in a moment. Yeah. Because one day it might be me. It doesn't make me some uber-Christian. It doesn't make me some holier-than-thou do-gooder. I would like to live in a world where people fleeing horror are looked after better than they currently are. Why? Not because I have a bigger conscience than you or a more uh, a finely calibrated moral compass or, or, or uh, a, a better appreciation of the Christian values with which I was raised. Let's park all of that because it can actually be problematic sometimes. I would like to live in a world where people fleeing horror get looked after better because one day it might be me. It's absolute madness to suggest that one day it might be me, isn't it? We'll come back to the horror because that's very important in a moment. And that's the bit I don't get. All the most awful things that have ever happened to human beings have happened because other human beings saw them as somehow less. Talk about genocide, talk about holocausts, talk about slavery. Every single... Ev the migrants coming across the channel in boats that are not fit to, to be placed into a swimming pool are not comparable in any way to Holocaust victims in Nazi Germany or or or, or any other comparison that O'Brien made there. It's 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 absolutely ridiculous to make that comparison. I'll explain I'm sure you know anyway, why in a moment. Event of epic inhumanity has been made possible by dehumanization. And dehumanization at a tiny, tiny level involves calling human beings migrants instead of calling human beings human beings. But I'm a migrant. I'm an Irish man living in U the UK. I'm an economic migrant. And I'm in no way dehumanised if I'm referred to as a migrant because I am a migrant. I'm not British. I'm not English. I'm not a UK citizen. I'm here uh, as a migrant. I contribute. I'm, I, you know, I, I pay taxes and national insurance like everybody else. But I'm a migrant. There isn't anything dehumanising. And the migrants are not crossing the channel because of anything to do with dehumanisation. This is spurious logic. This is nonsense. Specious reasoning. It makes no sense, but I'll explain what he's doing in a moment. But at a much bigger level, it somehow involves the snapping of that story, the breaking of that link that allows you to look at them and think, there but for the grace of God go I. Well, why would I think that? There, but for the grace of God, go I. I live in the United Kingdom. I used to live in Ireland. Before that, I lived in... In between, I lived in Spain. Why would I think there, but for the grace of God, go I? Can't happen to me. My country, or the country... The countries I've lived in are not being bombed back into the Stone Age by weapons made in other countries. We'll come back to that in a minute. So it couldn't, couldn't possibly occur to me that it might happen to me what's happening to those migrants. And I don't get that, and I'm not sure I ever will. But I'm going to try today to work out how other people, some people, other humans, can end up looking at these tragedies, looking at these people, looking at these sons and these daughters, and not thinking on any level at all that they're just like me. He's nearly in tears there. He's special, this guy. Just like me. That could be 
Me. Couldn't possibly be me. Me. How does that work? It comes easily to me. I don't mean to sound smug. I don't mean to sound condescending. It well, tough shit, Paddy. comes easily to me. Always has. But it's not selfless. It's selfish. Say, what do you mean you, you, you really care about that? Oh, you're such a do-gooder. You're such a virtuous. No, mate, it could be me one day. So what can you do to make the experience of desperate people better? Well, imagine being desperate yourself. Nobody is dehumanising the migrants. <clears throat> migrants isn't a dehumanising word. Let's forget about that. What, what, what he's done today, LBC has done it, even Talk Radio has done it, GB News, they've all done it, Sky News, is to reduce a complex and sometimes, but not always, complicated issue down to a few very simple absolutes and make everything a binary choice. So if you complain about the migrants crossing the channel and you're not weeping, and if you're not turning up at a vigil, and if you're not texting uh, a five-digit number to send three pounds to some refugee charity, well, you're a heartless bastard. You complained about the migrants crossing the channel, now they're dead, you're a heartless bastard. If you welcome the migrants, and you say it's important that we open our arms to these people, welcome them in, give them everything they need, you're a good human being, it's as simple as that. Criticise the crossings, you're an evil right-wing fascist. It's very simple, but it isn't, of course, simple. Of course these people are human beings, of course many of them are fleeing miserable situations. Why are they fleeing miserable situations? Why? And what part has the UK played in the situations of these people, ironically? It's a great irony here. This will not be discussed, of course, on LBC today. It won't be written about in The Guardian or even in The Telegraph. It certainly won't be talked about on Sky News. What part has the UK played in the situations of the people coming across the channel? Not all of them, but many of them. Selling bombs to Saudi Arabia, knowing full well that those bombs will be used to wipe Yemen off the map and kill hundreds of thousands of Yemenis. Can you imagine... If I, if, if, can you imagine if the UK had a similar attitude to firearms as the United States of America? Imagine in the UK if we could own handguns, obviously with, with licenses. Can you imagine if I owned a handgun and I owned, I don't know, a box of 50 bullets, 50 cartridges, and I have a neighbour and his name is Tim, and Tim is a maniac, Tim is angry. Uh, Tim is a real pisser, you know, a real bastard. And I know that Tim hates Eamon. He really hates Eamon. And given the opportunity, he would kill Eamon. If I hand Tim my handgun and the 50 cartridges, knowing full well that he's going to blow the head off of Eamon, that makes me a monster, doesn't it? So what part has the UK played in the situations of these people? Giving bombs to Saudi Arabia, knowing full well what those bombs will be used for. Think back 10 years ago, no fly zones over Libya. Telling lies about about a, a an uprising against uh, Colonel Muammar Gaddafi. Lies. Calling terrorists freedom fighters. Lying about it and then getting caught lying about it. And getting caught funding and arming the terrorists that you were calling freedom fighters. Because you wanted them to sack Tripoli. You wanted them to destroy Libya. So you create power vacuums in Middle Eastern countries and then you fill the vacuums that you've created with jihadi Wahhabist nutcases wrecking the infrastructure 
of those countries, levelling cities and towns. So you create the migrant crisis. Right there, you create it. Of course, I don't blame the people for trying to get here. These are human beings. I don't need to be lectured by James O'Brien or anybody else. I don't need to be given moral instruction by James O'Brien. I, I have empathy. I was born with it. I have feelings. I haven't been desensitised to this sort of thing because I've spent years in the media and because I've seen dead bodies and because I've been bombarded with these stories year in, year out for two decades. No, I haven't been desensitised to it. It's horrific. Imagining the lives of people in countries that have been wrecked by the governments and the intelligence agencies of the UK, the US, France, Israel, uh, Germany up to a point. Devastated for these people. Who could blame them for trying to get here? What would you do? You'd try and get here, wouldn't you? And of course, amongst that migrant flow will be some lunatics. That's a given. Absolute guarantee. I don't blame those people. Whatsoever. I wouldn't turn the Mac. Gunboats and turning the Mac? No, of course not. But O'Brien and the rest of the media will never allow a nuanced discussion of the things I've just talked about there. The destabilisation of Syria, based on a pack of lies about Bashar al-Assad. Struggling there for a minute. What's his name again? Bashar al-Assad. Destabilise the country. Send rocket launchers, hundreds of thousands of AK-47s. Toyotas, anti-aircraft guns, give them to lunatics that you've trained in Saudi and then set them to burn in Syria. What are you doing? You're creating a migrant crisis. You're creating a flow of migrants from the Middle East into Southern Europe. You know you're doing this. This isn't an unintended consequence of what you're doing. This is the desired consequence of what you're doing. Some people call it the Kalergi plan. You killed a million people in Iraq. Level the place. He sent a letter to the President of the United States of America saying, we'll be with you no matter what, no matter what you do. Wreck the country, blow it to fucking pieces. Orphan children. Kill a million and make three million homeless. And then give contracts to massive corporations to rebuild those countries you've destroyed and they pocket the money and they rebuild fuck all. And this is the case all over the Middle East. Millions of people living in burnt-out towns and villages. No access to clean water, decent food, education gone out the window. No chance of a job. No chance. This goes way back. Goes way back to the 50s. Mossadegh in Iran, the CIA, MI6, Shell. Iran was feckin' utopia under Mohammad Mossadegh. Nationalised the oil. Women were free. Girls were free. So you ask James O'Brien or Julia Hartley Brewer or Clay Burley or anybody to get into any of that, no, 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 no. They'll spend hours in long-winded, boring, meaningless monologues about why can't you say there but for the grace of God go why and just say happy days, let's leave all these migrants in. Because while they're destroying those countries, wrecking Syria, Iran, well not Iran so much, but Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, Libya, They're also destroying their own country domestically. Destroying it. Deliberately destroying manufacturing in this country. Deliberately destroying it. Destroying the unions. Introducing the concept of zero hours contracts. Getting rid of good jobs. Shit jobs now people have on zero hours contracts. Intelligent people being reduced to doing shit jobs on zero hours contracts. People who, if they lose their job tomorrow, they might be on the street within uh, six or eight weeks. 
At the same time, you're systematically destroying the health service in the UK. Reducing beds by half over a 30-year period and running tens of thousands of doctors and nurses out of the profession. Perfect fucking storm. Making life unbearable. Destroying vital services here. Which can't cope with the indigenous population. With, with, which can't cope with the needs of the indigenous population because you've wrecked them. Then you have thousands and thousands of migrants coming in. 26,000 made it across the channel this year alone. They've admitted to that. Pre-Brexit, they admitted that the country grew, the net migration, the country grew each year by a city the size of Swansea. But people are not allowed to speak about that. Because to speak about that is to be called a xenophobe or a hateful right-wing bastard or a conservative. And I'm the, I'm the Simon Bolivar fan here. I'm the Salvador Allende guy. I'm the only socialist in the United Kingdom. These are the things socialists were warning about 35, 40, 50 years ago. What this sort of imperialism would do to, 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 to the world. What it would do to those people in those countries that we wrecked. But what it would do to the people in the countries of the conquerors. What it would do to them. But you can't talk about that. The impact on people here, whose jobs have been lost to the tyrannical lockdowns. Millions of people have lost their jobs in the last 18 months. But no, you can't talk about that because it's a black and white issue if you listen to the news. Black and white. Binary choice. Simple absolutes. The good citizen says, yes, God help them. They're fleeing a terrible situation. Take them all in. If you say anything like I've said in the last uh, five minutes, you're a xenophobe. You can't possibly have any compassion for the situations. And, and, and I can say, because I'm on my platform now and I can't be censored, I can say, well, while, while, while James O'Brien and wankers like him were supporting the invasion of Iraq in 2002, excuse me, 2003, people like me were, 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 were begging our governments to intervene and to do something about it. Because we cared about the men, women and children of Iraq and Afghanistan and what they were facing. With F-16s flying over their heads and dropping bombs on their, on their tiny houses and wiping them out. We were the people who gave a shit back then. That was really giving a shit about people. But sitting in a LBC studio taking £300,000 a year of a salary and telling people to say, there but for the grace of God go why, that's not really caring about the migrants. That's virtue signalling bollocks. And it's, it's an embarrassment to journalism. Isn't it? Let me know what you think through the website, richieallen.co.uk. I know you'll have thoughts on that. I'm going to give you a COVID update in a moment. A COVID update. After we hear from David Lee Roth and his cover version of the great Beach Boys classic, California Girls. It's me, your BBG, with you till God knows when on Thursday's programme. It's November 25th, 2021. You might know, tell me if I'm wrong, I think that version was contained in the James Bond film A View to a Kill, when Roger Moore was way, way too old to be playing Bond. But it's a good film because Grace Jones is brilliant in it, as is Christopher Walken playing, I think, Zorin, was it? I think, I, I just realised I didn't give you an opinion there. Maybe that's a good thing, but I'll give it to you. If you are responsible, largely or mostly responsible for the situation, those migrants find themselves in, or many of them, 
absolutely you have a duty to take care of them in 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 in, in whatever way you can. I used to say this years ago, and conservatives used to go bananas. They didn't like it, me saying that. Yes, these countries, the UK, France, the United States, Israel, you've caused these problems. You've left these people, many of them, with nothing, with no prospects. Nothing but misery. So absolutely right, you've got some responsibility to take care of them. But as I said, it's a very nuanced issue. Very nuanced is what it is. It's the Richie Allen Show, 23, it's in fact 22 and a half minutes to the top of the hour. Listen, a number of you complain when I use audio from James O'Brien. Listen, you don't have to keep complaining about it. I heard you the first time. I will from time to time use clips from LBC and sometimes they will be James O'Brien to make a point. You'll have to just live with it, you know. Hi to Miss Gold, who says, who says she found it creepy when he said, one day it could be me. Uh, I think, and the website has just gone down, has it just, I was just reading that comment and the website just went down. <laughs> uh, by the way, thanks uh, to uh, the aforementioned Hayden Hewitt, excuse me, <clears throat> me cough, cough off mic there, for fixing a couple of niggly little issues with the website, including the vibrating of icons on the side of the page. He initially, he initially decided to gaslight me. He gaslit me. He said it wasn't happening. It's a terrible thing to do to somebody, to gaslight them. But then he realised it was happening and he fixed it, so he did. It's gone down and that's because of the traffic. The traffic. It's the traffic is what it is. It's nice. It's a nice problem to have, isn't it? Isn't it? I better move on then. There were some really interesting comments there and I really want to read them. Dagnabbit, I'll get to them in a moment. P Patricia made an interesting comment. Angela did. I'll get to them in a moment. Bono wrote a song years ago. Now, you think you're going to groan when you hear James O'Brien. <laughs> Before Bill Clinton groomed Bono, Bono was a good man. I made this argument some years ago on this very programme. Bono wrote a fantastic song for the Joshua Tree album called Bullet the Blue Sky. Lyrically brilliant. I've never loved the music. It's just not my favourite U2 song musically. But lyrically, it is fantastic. Bono was moved when travelling in Central America in the 1980s. Moved by what the United States government and the CIA were doing to Middle Eastern, excuse me, um, Central American countries you know, funding and arming militias and and fascistic governments and the suffering of people in places like El Salvador and Nicaragua because of the interference of the CIA. And Bono was really moved by this, but he was also moved by the paradox of what those people did, those men and women who were fleeing from uh, militias and lunatics on jeeps with machine guns. He was amazed, Bono, by the fact that they ended up in America. It's the final uh, couple of verses of the song. Bono sings, he's, 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 he's referencing Ron Ronald Reagan, he sings, This guy comes up to me, his face red like a rose in a thorn bush, like all the colours of a royal flush, and he's peeling off those dollar bills, slapping them down, 100, 200... And I can see those fighter planes, and I can see those fighter planes. 
And then he sings, across the mud huts where the children sleep, through the alleys of a quiet city street, you take the staircase to the first floor, turn the key and slowly unlock the door. As a man breathes into a saxophone, through the walls you hear the city groan. Outside is America. Outside is America. And then he, he sings finally. Across the field you see the sky ripped open. See the rain through a gaping wound. Pelting the women and children who run into the arms of America. It stunned him. The carnage was America. The money for the guns and the planes and the bullets and the bombs was American. It was CIA. And where did the people flee for their protection? They ran to America. And we're seeing that today in the English Channel. And most people don't don't contemplate these things. Not because I'm brighter than them. God knows I'm no brighter than anybody. But because they don't have the time to think about these things. Anywho, it's um, 18, 17 and a half minutes to the top of the hour. If I can't get on the comments, I'll have to move on. But I wanted to read some comments. Entschuldigung. Gesundheit. Hi to Jane. Hi to, and I mentioned Angela already. Uh, Isabel says, what a hypocrite O'Brien is. Talking about all human beings being equals and no one deserving to be demonised because one day it could be me. Why doesn't he apply this to people who decide not to be jabbed? Says Isabel. Aren't we human beings too? Aside from being the most self-centred person ever heard on radio, is it just me or does anyone else feel that James O'Brien is the most boring person ever? He's an insomniac's best friend. Well, listen, if I put all of my feelings aside for James O'Brien, and O'Brien is just a symptom, he's just one of many idiots, useful idiots in the, in the mainstream media. If I forget what I think of him personally, professionally, when I started in radio professionally, James O'Brien would never get a gig presenting even in a community radio station. Why? The answer is because he's dreadful. He's incredibly boring and long-winded and monotonal, very monotonal in his delivery. He's piss poor. He's got no sense of humour. He, he, he hasn't got the capability to poke fun at himself and his ideas. He's in, in absolutely incapable of being challenged. One of the things I really loved when I did phone in radio, particularly in Spain, was intelligent people ringing me up telling me that I was stupid or that I was wrong and then giving me a brilliant argument. I loved it. And, and I'm not virtue signalling here. Oh, yes, a good argument there, Dave. Now get off the line. Let's go to line two. Um, he's piss poor. Nobody would have heard of James O'Brien 30 years ago. Of course not. But O'Brien is a useful idiot, you know. Alan loves Bullet the Blue Sky. He said it's one of the first tunes I played live, as was New Year's Day. Good lines, bass lines there for Adam Clayton, who's a nice fella. Jean Ann tells me reliably that Adam Clayton is a nice fella. Jean Ann knows Adam Clayton. Does uh, my, 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 my learned, scholastic, scholarly friend Jean Ann Crowley. Katja says, isn't it a matter for simple maths, Richie? Of course they need to be taken care of. But England has a limited amount of space. Exactly, Katya. That's the point I made. It's nuanced. And you're not allowed to speak about these things. You are right. 
She says it's already gone too far with the destruction in the Middle East, as you said. Can it ever be fixed? Yes. Aldo says it was a view to a kill. Jim says the jab will get rid of millions in the Western world. The migrants are the replacement workforce, says Jim. Jim, you might not be wrong there, pal. Hi to William Henderson. I'll get back to you, William. I don't know the answer to that, mate. Hayden is very, very busy. I'm busy myself. I'd love nothing more. But logistically, it might not be possible, but I hope it will be. That's doing another TV thing with Hayden. I just don't know. I'm rethinking my entire broadcasting life at the moment. How long I want to be doing this, you know. But that's a story for another day, is what it is. Hi to Pandora. Mentioned Pandora already, did I? Angela, who phoned in the other day, Angela, uh, Angela L, we'll call her, but she's Angela Lambert on the website. Richie, my grandfather escaped from Poland as a small boy with his father and siblings. They must have been terrified. It was 1899 and they had to get on a boat not knowing where they were heading. That must have been terrifying. And imagine trying to keep calm. Imagine being the parents, trying to remain calm for the benefit of the children. And how many migrants are getting on boats in Calais? On boats, as I said, that, you know, Wile E. Coyote could do a better job. And many men are get, and women are getting on with children and they're trying to, to, to remain smiley and, and cheerful and optimistic for the kids and they don't know what's going to happen to them. Yeah, absolutely. We'll take no lectures from Muppets like James O'Brien on, 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 on how to be empathetic for our fellow human beings. Absolutely. Chris says it was last week. It was Christmas last week, I think, that um, Rob okayed arms sales to Saudi again. Or was it two years ago? Chris, I don't know, but it did happen. And on daytime commercial television, you've got Martin Bell pleading for donations to save Yemeni children. Fantastic, Chris. That's right. On the one hand, you have the Defence Secretary, former Defence Secretary, okaying the sale of arms to the Saudis to blow up innocent people in Yemen. And on the same day, on the same television station, you've got Martin Bell, I reported from war zones, please send money for the Yemenis. Fuck off. Excuse my French. Exactly. Patricia says, exactly, Richie, the good Christian countries go to these countries and create devastation and chaos. When the people from these countries try to escape, nobody in the countries who destroyed them seems to want them. It's disturbing, says Patricia. You're right and you're wrong, Patricia. Not everybody doesn't want to help them. I would help them in a heartbeat, of course. The genuine migrants fleeing the madness that we've inflicted on them, that our governments have inflicted on them. Absolutely. But there are others. You know, people who have a lot less than you have and I have. And they know that they're going to bear the brunt of it. In fact, on LBC's Sheila, Sheila Fogarty show this afternoon... A woman who came to the country from Sudan in the 1980s made a brilliant point. She made a brilliant point, I think. I hope I picked up her point correctly. She said that, you know, many of those calling for, let them, you know, let's open the doors to everybody, are people who will never feel the economic impact of that. Those who will feel the economic impact of it and who ask what is going on, they're labelled racists and hateful bastards 
evil effectively they're demonising you're absolutely evil <clears throat> they don't care about these people <clears throat> excuse me I'm sorry for coughing I said it's 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 complex Faisal says arming and aiding a war crime is criminal everybody involved in arming the Saudis while it's waging its illegal war on Yemen should be in jail Amen Faisal Tony Blair should be hanging by his ankles in the Tower of London I've said this before he should be naked he should be taken down one hour a day for exercise and to be fed. He should be hanging by his ankles and his head should be about two feet off the ground. And the families of the men and women that he butchered in Iraq and Afghanistan should be allowed to queue up every day to urinate and defecate on his face. That is the sentence I would impose on Tony Blair. And that monkey man Bush... And his daddy, if his daddy was still alive. Scumbags. Absolutely. Blair looks like he knows what's coming, doesn't he? Sometimes, doesn't he? You see Blair sometimes, don't you? On telly, and you think, he fucking knows. Those are the days that I pray that there is a God. Genuinely, I'm not making this up. I do not mean to offend my, 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 my Muslim friends, my Christian friends, my Jewish friends. I do not mean to offend you. Not that I care about offending people in any case, but I genuinely do pray that there is some retribution for him. And then I think if there is a God, he or she, he, would, would frown on my desire for their retribution. But how could you not want Blair to be punished for what he did? Gail makes the point made earlier on. Good evening, Richie. Pity James O'Brien doesn't say the same for the unvaxxed as he does for the migrants. He's a knob, says Gail. He's a knob. He is a knob. He's a damn knob. Here's something a bit lighter before we move on to something a bit more serious. Nick Fletcher is a Tory MP and a Tory MP is he. He spoke at a committee hearing today. Did he? Was it digital, culture, media, sport? I don't know. And he said that Young men are turning to crime. No, he didn't. He linked the fact that young men are turning to crime. He linked that fact to women playing traditionally male roles in television and in film. What kind of fuckery is What kind of fuckery is that? Anyway, I made a mistake there. I pressed the wrong button. Right, so this guy says young men turning to crime can be linked to women taking traditional male roles in TV and film. <laughs> he says female replacements in shows like Doctor Who were robbing boys of good old ruled models. Shall we hear Nick Fletcher just a little bit? Might be, he might make a good case here, I don't know. Everywhere, not at least within the cultural sphere, there seems to be a call from a tiny yet very vocal minority that every male character or good role model must have a female replacement. One only needs to look at the discussion surrounding who will play the next James Bond. And it's not just James Bond. In recent years, we have seen Doctor Who, Ghostbusters, Luke Skywalker, The Equaliser, all replaced by women. And men are left with the craze and Tommy Shelby. <laughs> Is there any wonder we are seeing so many young men committing crime? Well, you convince me, Nick, you convince me. He likes what he says and he says what he bloody well likes. What do you think of that? Answers on a postcard. RichieAllen.co.uk We can't deny that a lot of roles that were written for men 
have been flipped. But is that such a bad thing, is it? I don't know. Tell me, tell me. Let's talk about the dreaded C word. Covid. Let's talk Covid. Why not, eh, dear friend? Into the breach we go again. Marvellous. Hope I wasn't waffling on there about wars and stuff. I hope I made some sense. I'm not fishing for compliments, by the way. Don't tell me I'm great. I know I'm great. Not fishing for compliments, but I do tend to waffle on sometimes. I thought the point needed to be made. It's always going to be framed in simple absolutes by the media. And people are going to be gaslighted. That's what they're doing, gaslighting people who are genuinely concerned. Nice people who do not want to see people drown in the channel. And who do not want to see people's villages blown to pieces by drone attacks, by cowards in military bases in Europe and in Britain. They don't want to see that happen to people. But they know that when that does happen, and the inevitable consequences are a migrant movement or a movement of people, well, that's not good for us. Because life is very, very difficult here as it is. You know? Anyway... Let's talk a little bit about the C word. What have I got to tell you? A, a few headlines, so I'll give you the few headlines. Slovakia has entered a two-week lockdown today in a bid to curb COVID cases. All businesses, apart from essential shops and services, have closed and people have been banned from travelling outside their districts unless they're going to work, school or to see the dock. Gatherings of more than six people have been banned in Slovakia for the next two weeks. Let's move to the Czech Republic. The Czech Republic has declared a state of emergency for 30 days due to a rise in COVID cases. It isn't immediately understood what the state of emergency means or what restrictions will be put in place. The government will announce it maybe later on or maybe tomorrow. They're considering a ban on public gatherings and limiting the opening hours for restaurants and bars. Yet just fuck the service industry even harder than we did last year. Let's ruin as many restaurants and businesses and coffee shops as we possibly can. Why not? And today, the outgoing German Chancellor Angela Merkel uh, said today is a very sad day for Deutschland because the death toll from COVID surpassed 100,000. This is bullshit, of course. You know this, I know this. But she's calling for more restrictions in Deutschland. Moving to the left, if you're looking at a map of the world, moving to the left, the Netherlands is planning to introduce, quote, heavy measures, unquote, end quote, heavy measures, end quote, to stop the spread of COVID, according to Hugh, Hugo, Hugo the Younger, Hugo the Younger. He's the government's health minister. He says they will impose new measures, but haven't yet decided what those measures will be. Tyranny tyranny is what it is. The Dutch will announce these measures tomorrow. Manana. Manana, manana, manana. The European Union drugs regulator has authorised Pfizer's Covid jab for use on children aged from 5 to 11. So right across Europe now, they'll be jabbing the 5 to 11 year olds. Tyranny. So that means um, it'll happen like ASAP, won't it? It, it could happen from next week in European Union countries. It is the first time that the EMA has cleared a COVID jab for use in young children. The agency, the European Medicines Agency, said it recommended granting an extension of indication for the COVID-19 jab to include use in children aged 5 to 11. Yes, it'll be given in two doses of 10 micrograms, three weeks apart, in the upper arm. That's the recommendation. 
the adult doses are 30 micrograms each. The EU Health Commissioner is a woman called Stella Kyriakides. Stella Kyriakides. She said the recommendation made it clear that the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine is safe and effective for young children and can offer them additional protection, even though they don't need protection against COVID-19 because children don't get it. And if they do get it, they don't know they have it. And they certainly do not die from it. Tyranny. 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 I've waffled on a bit. Shall I take a tune? Speaking of arms. This is a gorgeous bit of singing from Raoul Mallow. The lead singer of the Mavericks. This is In Another's Arms. This is kind of timely, isn't it? It's gorgeous, this. The Mavericks and In Another's Arms from the album... In Time, which is magnificent. There isn't a filler track on it. If you like songs and stories and music from yesteryear with interesting backstories, I recommend, I highly recommend that you check out Sunday Morning Melodies with me every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock UK time. Sunday Morning Melodies with the that's the one every Sunday at 10. The Richie Allen Show relies on your support. Visit richieallen.co.uk and make a financial contribution today. Are you a company based in the northwest of England who want to improve their profile via social media? Yeah. Well, you could go out in the car park and film something on your phone, but it's not very good, is it? No! Sounds terrible, yes. the picture's not that great. Yes. Try Ensign Films. We're a new video production company based in the heart of Manchester. We're really old, we've had loads of experience, and we can work within your budget. Don't go out in the car park with Debbie from Accounts. Seriously. Ensignfilms.co.uk It's the BBG, not the BBC. That's right, it is myself. With me big baldy head in me. I shaved me head again today. I always like that. I always feel better when I shave me head. I get the, 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 the razor you normally shave your, your beard with. Uh, not the electric one now, the, the, the straight razor. And I shave my head so there's no trace of a hair on it. It's very soft and smooth to the touch. In fact, the, the, the oft-mentioned El Frogo Tremendo doesn't like touching it, feels that it's a bit like touching a snake. Anyway, she's not talking to me after that gag I made at the beginning of yesterday's programme about her shaving herself in her nether regions. Not talking to me at all. Neither is Mark Bajerski because he was drinking something when I said that yesterday and spat it all over a computer and had to spend some time cleaning it after that. So, yeah, I'm losing friends. I'm losing friends but gaining listeners. There you are. Chris and Emma say it's the longest two weeks to flatten the curve in history. I cried on March the 23rd, 2020 and turned to my wife and said that's the end of our freedom, says Chris. Yeah. Dazaragi says, good point on the replacement of fictional male role models. Where are the female Tony Sopranos, Walter White's Jax Tellers? Jax Teller, is that a character from that motorcycle club drama from, from California with, with, your woman, with your woman Katie Sagal or Segal in it, the, your woman from Married with Children? Is that Jax Teller? I could be wrong. 
Joan says, Richie, they are now jabbing the 12, uh, the 5 to 11 year olds in Ontario without parental consent. So a child could get the jab without parental knowledge, have an adverse reaction, and the parents would be clueless as to what is going on. I cannot even. A lot of people are going to uh, these jab sites and handing out leaflets, etc. We have to do something. It's heartbreaking, says Joan. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're talking here about preventing people protesting near schools. Yeah, let's 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 move on. Let's do a little bit more on the on the COVID thing, because speaking of jabbing the kiddies, I wrote about this on the website this afternoon. It was reported earlier on that Scottish teaching unions are backing giving the jabs to five-year-olds and above. In Scotland, this is the largest teaching union there. And Larry Flanagan, whoever the hell he is, well, he's the General Secretary of the Educational Institute of Scotland. He's called for a quicker decision to be made on rolling out the jabs to the kiddies. He says giving them to young children is a safer route or route than just allowing for herd immunity to develop. What the fuck does Larry Flanagan know about herd immunity or the vaccination of children? The answer is squat. He's not a doctor, he isn't a virologist or an immunologist. He's a job's worth. And now he and his union are a serious threat to the well-being of Scotland's children. Imagine it. You get any Tom, Dick and Harry now, any job's worth from a union, saying we have to jab the children. But who are you? What medical school did you go through? These are some strange and dangerous times, aren't they? Aren't they? They are, indeed. They're talking about it in Ireland as well, jabbing the five-year-olds, but also masking up the children in primary schools. Professor Mary Morgan. Jesus. It's actually Mary Horgan. Mary Horgan. She's on the NEFET board. That's Ireland's National Public Health Emergency Team. NEFET was set up at the same time, SAGE was set up in the UK. It's there to advise the government on how to negotiate its way through the scam-demic. So NEFET is a team of so-called experts telling the government what to do. Professor Mary Horgan is a bit of a bitch, but uh, she's on NEFET. Here she is on Morning Ireland this morning. I have no idea who's presenting Morning Ireland. I couldn't give a shit. But you'll hear the presenter first, so you will. Yes, I've got the clip here. Now, at the moment, primary pupils have the highest incidence of any age group. Is it time to look at mask wearing for primary school pupils, and would that work? Well, we know for the past few months that the um, incidence of infection in primary school children is, is higher. Bullshit, that is. The incidence of infection in primary school is higher. What a lie. And she will know, this Mary Horgan, Muppet witch doctor, that this is bollocks. And even if children were testing positive for it, there's nothing wrong with them. So what difference would it make? Than the rest of the population, and probably for two, two reasons, there are many reasons. Um, firstly, they are a group that haven't been vaccinated. We know how effective vaccines are. And secondly, they, they don't do, use masks. The rest of the population do. So it may be a time to uh, consider that because we do want to reduce the infection as much as we possibly can. And as we heard earlier from Paul Cullen, um, it, it's likely that the EMA may recommend uh, vaccination in that 5 to 11-year-old age group. So, 
which it has, as we know, this was taken, this clip, I took this clip earlier today, the EMA has authorised the jabbing of the 5 to 11 year olds. So that could, you know, certain, that certainly will reduce the infections and masking on top of that. Although, you know, it, it is difficult for, for younger children to wear masks, but we do need to follow the signs. We need to see what um, what mm-hmm. comes out of the HICWA review that's been uh, that will be uh, presumably discussed at NEFET today. What a mindless, motherless, whoremongering fucking bastard she is! Let's mask up the kiddies, stop the infections. Let's jab them. Let's jab them to protect Granny and Grandad. What a disgusting! Some of this stuff I say it not for effect. I don't say it to make you laugh. I kind of hope one day soon that one of these people will try and come after me legally, you know. I'm going to ramp it up. Maybe maybe that's one of the ways we can have a little bit of a pop back at them. Maybe one of them might go for me for libel, maybe. What a bastard. It went on anyway. In the UK, they're giving boosters to anyone uh, from the age of 40 and upwards. We're not going to get to the 50 to 60-year-olds until after Christmas, although there will be uh, people with underlying conditions will get boosters from next week. Is that ideal? I suppose it's not ideal, but we are where we are. There is a booster programme underway. It's a big operation. By the way, before we hear the rest of this, bollocks, having heard a... A, a doctor say we need to mask up primary school children and jab them the the fucking hag presenting the programme could only ask about should we follow the UK and start giving out the boosters post haste not a thought in the presenter's head of saying are you crazy are you off are you out of- what the fuck is wrong with you jabbing kids and putting masks on on tiny children in primary schools. No, 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 God, no. Let's let's talk about the boosters. Operation. The boosters. Um, I, I, I believe it's being done as quickly as possible. There's a lot of logistics where, where it's done, um, whether it's in by the GP, the pharmacies, the vaccination centres. There's a lot of people involved in doing that and trying to do it as quickly as possible. And we do see the benefits of that already, certainly on the front. Yeah, let's do it as quickly as possible before the public wake up to the fact that not only are these jabs not necessary, but in fact they're dangerous. That's what the speed is all about, isn't it? It's got to be some, it's got to be playing some part in it. Let's do it as quick as we possibly can. Let's quickly get down through the age groups. Why, why are you so desperate to do that? I mean, the hospitals are not, are not filling up with COVID patients. This, whatever COVID was, it's pretty much gone now herd immunity. So what, what, why the hurry? The answer might be because, well, do it as quick as you can before people realise what's going on. Here was an interesting little exchange on BBC News 24 today. The, the, the person you're about to hear is Sarah Jones. She is a PhD researcher at Imperial College in London. And she's looking into attitudes to vaccination. And here... You will hear the woman, Sarah Jones, the PhD researcher, talking about, particularly talking about the attitudes of those hesitant to take the jabs. And I think you will find this interesting. Listen up. Now, according to our latest results, and caveat that over time, of course, our sample of unvaccinated people has gotten much smaller, but the main hesitancy attitudes have been pretty constant. 
since we started tracking them. Overwhelmingly, there are three attitudes that appear common in people who have chosen not to vaccinate. And they remain very much to be concerns that there hasn't been enough testing, concerns about side effects, concerns the vaccine is actually not effective. And what no, you do so see... Not, uh, sorry to interrupt, but not necessarily driven by conspiracy theories. Is that what your research is showing? Really, really interesting, this. This is really interesting. Showing. Overwhelmingly, it's concerns about testing side effects and the vaccine not being effective. There's also a, a lower overall trust in the vaccine among the unvaccinated. Now, uh, what you typically find is that in vaccinated individuals versus unvaccinated individuals, uh, the, 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 the multiplier is two or three times. So for example, for the percentage of people who believe that there has been enough testing uh, among the vaccinated, it would be about a third of that among the unvaccinated. Um, how common are those attitudes? Well, for about six in 10 to about eight in 10 people who are not vaccinated will tell us that they have concerns about it not being tested enough. This is brilliant, isn't it? Isn't this brilliant? She said it's overwhelmingly not conspiracy theorists who are expressing hesitation and concern about the jabs. I thought I was hearing things this morning when I heard that. I had to rewind it, thankfully, with my remote control. And I said, wow. Because they're blaming the lack of take-up of the jabs in this country, particularly on the internet, on Twitter, on fake news, on social media and all of that. When in fact this lady from Imperial College London is saying, well, no, these are actually quite reasonable people who are saying things that we know to be 100% true. Uh, these are new jabs. They're maybe not as effective as we were told they were. There isn't any long-term data. So I'll give it a bit of a miss, thank you. Got nothing to do with conspiracy theories about Bill Gates or anybody else. This is fascinating. Uh, for side effects, that 6 in 10 is found in Germany, Netherlands, uh, Spain, here in the UK. That actually goes up to 7 or 8 in 10 for Sweden and France and in Italy. Um, you do, however, see that for the the group of people who remain to be unvaccinated, uh, we don't see these measures becoming more positive over time. We do see them becoming more negative over time. So for example- That's really interesting. She says that because, it seems to be to me that she's saying, because they have a logical and totally understandable hesitation for the jabs, for not having the jabs, it's difficult to see them changing their attitude over time. This is brilliant, isn't it? For example, uh, this seems to be a related measure. People who uh, are not vaccinated, their attitudes about government handling of the pandemic, for example, it's down five points since February in Spain, but that's down 35 points in Germany okay. and in Italy. So, so um, as countries like Germany, other countries across Europe try to deal with uh, rising cases, when you look at what your research is, is uncovering, what does that tell us about the type of public health messages that are working, those that aren't? What needs to, to change? Or do you think we're going to see pretty entrenched groups, those who are in favour of vaccination, they've already got it, those who aren't, won't be moved on that point? You weren't listening to her, you stupid woman. She just explained that the attitudes won't change. And she pretty much said they won't change because the, it's pretty sound reasoning on behalf of the hesitant. Side effects, I'm seeing them. I'm seeing them on the government website. I'm hearing about them anecdotally. 
I'm seeing them on the VAERS reporting system in America. These jobs are new. It's new technology. They haven't been tested. So no thank you. There's nothing conspiracy theory about that. So, 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 so the woman from Imperial College London said they're not likely to change. The BBC Muppet wasn't listening. Anyway, let's hear the, the end of that because it's good. I, I do think that people will, will be moved when they feel as though they have access to the information from the information messengers that they feel that they can trust. This has been overwhelmingly the case since the beginning of vaccination started, that if people don't trust the vaccine and they don't trust the messenger, or they have worries about uh, confidence in the healthcare system, they're much more likely to be unvaccinated. I do think that that means public health campaigns should seek to understand people's concerns respectfully. Uh, they should learn better how to communicate effectively with these smaller groups of people um, and find out who are the trusted messengers and to try to get them on side to be able to communicate the, the facts and the scientific evidence. But, but you can't give a fact to somebody who is hesitant to have the job because of concerns about side effects and concerns about no long-term data. There isn't a fact in the world that trumps the concerns of that person. How do you beat that? Have the jab? No. Why? It's new. It was rushed out. It's still in phase three trials. I am reading on the government's website that it is doing a lot of harm. There is no long-term data. What could any trusted messenger say that defeats that stance? The answer is nothing. So she was right the first time. People like me and you are not likely ever to change our minds on these jabs and say, all right then, you convince me, I'll have them. It's 20, well not 20, not quite 20, it's 18 minutes past the hour. It's time for another tune. When we come back, I'm going to be chatting with you about climate change. Before I do that though, I'll be reading some of your messages that you sent to me at richieallen.co.uk. This is Amy McDonald. Ah, sure we love a bit of Amy. Amy McDonald, Amy McDonald, this is the life on the Richie Allen Show at 21 minutes past six o'clock. Christine is in Limavady in Derry. Good evening, Christine. My seven-year-old granddaughter tested positive for COVID, much to my annoyance, and getting tested. But anyway, she never knew she had it. It wasn't like it was of the school's behest this happened. She went back to school 10 days later. This week she's on steroids because her asthma has flared up. So ironic. People are going, how come COVID didn't affect her though? This would make you laugh, says Christine. Thought this would make you laugh, in fact. Yeah, it's mental, Christine. That's what it is. It's absolutely mental. Hi to David Keane. How you doing, David? Thank you for the link to the Facebook story. I will check it out a bit later on. And I did see a message from Karen Gina Ray Brown. Karen Gina Ray Brown. Now, get it right, Richie. It's Karen Gina Day Brown. And she's listening. Is Karen Gina Day Brown. Hang on a second. Jesus. <laughs> this is about the worst type of filling you'll ever hear. No, no, I'm not filling. Karen Gina Ray Brown. Yes. And she says to me, can I have a shout out for Karen Gina Day Brown? Ah, you made the typo. It is Karen Gina Ray Brown. And she's listening with her children, Eduardo, Toey and Chloe. How you doing, Karen Gina Ray Brown and Eduardo, Toey and Chloe? Thanks for listening. And that's the shout out you asked for. 
So there you are. I did it. I did it. Elizabeth says another reason to get as many as possible jabbed is to reduce the control group of the unjabbed. Somebody called Mind Crazed Banjo says, Richie, I've noticed a pattern. Whenever they start talking about vaccines, they always add the line, which we know are effective. It's like they think we need telling that in case we have any doubt. They need to keep telling us in case we have any doubt the jabs are effective. That's a good point. Uh, Mind crazed banjo person. That's a very good point indeed. Caroline says, is it me or do all these women in the limelight (coughs) feel all powerful? I don't know which women you're talking about, but maybe. Beryl says it's already done here in British Columbia, Canada. All children masked in school and 5 to 11 year olds having the jab. It was also on the news yesterday, says Beryl. The MSM are warning that information about stillborns in Vancouver Hospital is dangerous misinformation. So the MSN is saying that any reports of stillborn babies in Vancouver hospitals is actually a lie. It's dangerous misinformation. That's what the media is saying. Fabrizio says, My son's partner has kids in school who were sent home this week with symptoms and required a negative test in order to be allowed return. Negative test confirmed. How will the school record this? Asks Fabrizio. Jesus. Yeah. I know. I know. I know. Hi to Pingpi, or Pingpi, who asks me what do I make of something in Slovenia. I'll have to look at that a bit later on. Dean Smith says, my pal, assault and battery. That's the law. To stab a human without consent. Come near my son. I will be very polite as I watch you crawl to A&E, says Dean. This is the thing. Parents now in this country. Parents in Scotland. But they, they can't give a jab to a five, six or seven year old in Scotland without parental consent. They can't get Gillick competence out of a five year old. Can they? Come on. If your child is six or seven and going to a school in Scotland, you, surely they're not going to jab that kid without getting your signed consent. Or am I a big, naive, baldy bastard? Well, I'm a baldy bastard. That is for sure. Am I naive? Maybe I am. You tell me. Hi to Imogen, who says, How long after approving the JAG, as they say in Scotland, for five-year-olds, will they say it's a requirement for school? Homeschooling will be the only option for me and my babies, says Imogen. Thanks for the comment, Imogen. Yeah. Colin says, Sons of Anarchy. That's right. The character, Jax. Yes, we watched seasons one to four, me and herself, and I think at that stage we got bored by it. But seasons one to four were good. That's how we felt. Right, 26 minutes past six. It's time for more observations. Climate change. Remember last year I was talking to you. I know you remember. I was there, you were there. And I mentioned climate lockdowns. I'm proud of that. It occurred to me before it occurred to anyone else, seemingly. That doesn't happen very often. I don't have such epiphanies that I think of something before anybody else does. Now, of course, maybe somebody else did, but they certainly didn't say it anywhere. Not anywhere on a platform like this. I said climate lockdowns. You won't be able to take your cars out on Sunday if you're on the left-hand side of the street. Maybe the Sunday after, you'll be able to take your cars out, 
but those on the right-hand side of the street won't, in order to reduce our collective carbon footprint. Very early into lockdown, I said, won't they use lockdowns for climate change? Anyway, it was obvious to me anyway. Have a listen to BBC News this afternoon. I would like you to feast your feckin' ears. This is a genuine story from BBC News this afternoon. Now, for many people, it's a staple part of the classic British weekend, the Sunday afternoon drive in the countryside. Unfortunately, many rural roads just can't cope with that many vehicles. Now, the Peak District National Park is considering banning cars from some of its roads on Sundays. Judy Hobson went to find out more. Banning cars from some of its, from some of its roads on Sundays. And Judy Hobson is going to tell us a bit more about the banning of the cars in the Peak District on certain roads on Sundays. Yes, let's have a listen to Judy and her story. It's important. Even on a cold Wednesday morning, the Peak District is popular with visitors. Hope Valley is one of the busiest areas. Three to five million people come here every year and 90% arrive by car. By car. Now you're going to hear Mandy Holden. Mandy is from Hope Valley Climate Action. Hope Valley Climate Action. They've got climate change groups in the Peak District. Listen to Mandy. People love to come to the Peak Park and why not? It's fantastic. But that does mean that we get a lot of kind of carbon visitors. Carbon visitors. Carbon. Busy today and we're in November. Carbon. Carbon visitors bringing their carbon. <laughs> One idea could be closing some smaller roads on busy Sunday afternoons to improve the environment for cyclists and walkers. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm almost like Nostradamus over here. No one wants to come out into an amazing place like the Hope Valley and feel like they're in a car park. It's that kind of, that sense of tranquility and nature and beauty which can be added to and, and that seems like a, a huge selling point um, for making some places occasionally car free. Occasionally car free. This summer our national parks were inundated with visitors. The communities had problems of roadways being blocked, emergency services not being able to get through. Add all of that to the climate impact that has, it means that we've got to look at alternative solutions here. What I'm keen to do is encourage more people to access the National Park, not by car. Yeah, I'll tell you who that was, because it's important. That was Sarah Fowler from the Peak District National Park Committee. Right? Right, let's hear more. The Peak District National Park is considering car-free days, but this is just one idea. Creating better transport links is the priority. The concept here is that Hope Station... This guy is another climate action group person. His name is Roger Clark. ...would become a transport hub where the rail service and the bus services join up. So, the, the, for example, you come here by train, but a shuttle bus would take you to Castleton to visit the caverns or up Edale if you wanted to walk on the hills. But persuading people to leave their cars at home might not be easy. Yeah. Transport links or train links from yeah. where we live to get out here, it'll take you the day to get here. And then there's going to be no walking. So it would be a good idea. Hmm. But they need to have some parking out of the village, wouldn't they, to do that? We need to reduce the amount of journeys that we're taking by private car and think about travelling in a way that feels a bit more in line with the wonderful landscape. The Lake District National Park has also not ruled out looking at car-free days at some point in the future. Yeah, the Lake District, which is not the Peak District, the Lake District is also looking at 
car free days in the future. That's the surprise you see. Surprise. Listen, I'm 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 if I if I was an ice cream, I'd eat myself. I called that one, didn't I? Eh? And to think that bitch who wrote that article for Sky News last week saying that I was a crazy conspiracy theorist for talking about climate lockdowns. That bastard. And uh, I'm sure she's okay, that girl at Sky. I'm sure she is. In fact, hysterically, after Sky ran that piece on the channel, on the TV itself and on their website about me being a mad conspiracy theorist for suggesting climate lockdowns, the Indian government announced plans for lockdowns to uh, to ease to ease the 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 poisonous air to deal with with its with its toxic air pollution problem the indian government said we'll look into making people stay at home <laughs> yeah i got it right i was right then i'm right now i say what i like and i like what i bloody well say is what i do what am i doing now i'm playing more music i'm not i'll read one i am i'm playing more music that's what I'm doing. It's my show. I call the shots. It's my football. And I will say who plays and who doesn't. I get first pick. 10 half time, 20 the match. Jumpers for goalposts. I'm the referee as well. My decisions are final. This is the Waterboys and Mike Scott. And the man is in love with you. Mike Scott and the Water Boys there, 25 minutes to 7 o'clock, Thursday's Richie Allen show, a chilled edition of the programme. Might have to get used to that, by the way. Things are going to change here at BBG Towers. I'll keep you posted, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely going to radically overhaul the way the programme is produced. I've got to do that. I won't get into it today because I don't want to depress you, but <laughs> I, I've got to have a serious think about it. I was speaking to uh, Jean-Anne about it today and I've spent quite a lot of time chatting with my better half. It's it's something I touched on before. It's hard. It's difficult for me to, to make you understand because you don't do this job. Therefore, you could never understand it. But to spend the best part of 20 months reporting on this as I'm living through it and gathering material for it editorial um, you know sourcing material editing audio guests reading the papers it's killing me <laughs> for want of a better way of putting it so something has got to give I'm, I'm just p- putting it out there what it is I don't know but something is definitely going to give it's uh, it's building up, you know, is what it is. But uh, I'll 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 keep you posted. I'll keep you posted, is what I'll do. Lots of comments coming in today, as every other day. Hi to Denise. Thank you for recommending that person, Denise. I'm not familiar with the person's work, but I will check him out, and uh, and maybe invite the person on. Thanks for the link to his work. I'll do that. Indeed, marvelous. Hi to Red Green. A uh, number of you are saying you can't get to the Peak District without motor cars. 
So basically, you're closing off the Peak District if you're saying people can't arrive in their cars. Yes, I hear you. I've been to the Peak District many a time. Hope Valley, probably. I, I can't remember. I can't remember. Scottish John in Austin. How are you doing, John? Why have I never heard of Amy MacDonald? That was brilliant. It is a brilliant song. And Amy MacDonald's a great artist with many great songs. Many. Angela's enjoying the music. Thank you, Angela. Not bad tonight. I'll, I'll give myself that. Dougal says, Richie Gareth, uh, Ike last week on his programme right now, which is a very good programme, interviewed a doctor in the USA who gave a very good, or in, in Dougal's, in Dougal's opinion, the best explanation of the virus vaccine scam that I have heard since Dougal. Thanks, Dougal. I'll be sure to check that out. I like a bit of Gareth, I have to say. Lovely, lovely, lovely. Wayne says presenting people with just two options is a well-known psychological trick to get people to do something used for covert programming, also in therapy, for therapeutic processes. Yes, an example, stay at home, save lives. Yes, thank you, Wayne, I'm aware of it. Thank you for pointing it out. I've been talking about binary choice and binary choice tactic for many years now. Reducing very complex issues with, with, with many valid opinions. Even with three or four sides, you get three or four sides of any debate and each side has got some valid opinions, even if you don't agree ultimately with their conclusions. You say, Christ, that's a valid opinion. No, that has been, that has been under attack. Nuance, intellectual debate has been attacked. They do it by reducing things that are multifaceted to a handful, or as we're saying, Wayne, a couple of simple absolutes. It's genius in one sense. It works. By Christ, does it work. I hear people talking. I'm not an eavesdropper, but I'm out and about doing my thing with my doggies, and I hear people talking, and they talk in simple absolutes about everything. You know, how do you think people got to you know, I know it's a line in Father Ted, and it's a very funny line. Coming over here, stealing our jobs and our women. Because they've been programmed to get to that point, where it becomes the person arriving in from Poland or from Turkey or from Ukraine is coming here to steal our jobs. <laughs> That's what it is. Nothing else. There's nothing else to it but that absolute. Well, no. It's far more complex. Many things have happened to get that person from Ukraine to here. There are agendas at play. You might want to consider them before offering your opinion. But that's that's how it is with people. I'm amazed by it. Can't give I I, I had an argument with a woman last year. Woman who worked in a woman who worked in personnel. Proper argument. In the end she properly went for me as well. Took a step towards me. This woman, really angry, really aggressive, because uh, she was going on about how it's the civic duty to stay at home and do the right thing and all that bollocks. And I said, well, you know, you have, already you've got a dozen eminently qualified people who are saying that this is not a good idea. And maybe those people should at least be heard out before you decide to reach your conclusion. She didn't like that. What are you saying? 
Well, I said you are deliberately choosing not to listen to people whose qualifications are equal or better than the goons telling you to stay at home and don't kill your granny. Why would you choose to do that? Not to listen to those people. The answer is because you've decided that this is a good thing. We all work from home. Maybe it's because you are not the most sociable of people. Maybe it's because you're not particularly well liked in the company you work in. Or some other fucking reason. But you've decided, no, no, I will listen only to those people who say what I want to hear. That's how people are today, increasingly. You know? And I'm no anthropologist, far from it, but I've been a student of human moves, to coin the, the Paul Newman phrase, ever since I became a journalist. Fascinated by people. And how they become so obtuse, completely stubborn. No way. Have a listen to that guy over there. He, he's at Harvard Uni. Now I know you think Harvard is very special. We hear about it in the movies. You know, Boston. I've been to Harvard myself. Have you, Richie? Not as a student, of course, no. I visited the university when I was in Boston. It been very nice. Um, yeah, but you don't want to hear this guy. He's from Harvard. He says that, Jesus, maybe those jobs are a bad idea. You don't want to hear him. No. No. Take the jobs. Have the jobs. Do the right thing. We can all get back to normal. How's that working out for you now? 110 million jobs in the UK. <clears throat> what did I put on the website yesterday? 7.8 billion jobs. 7.8 billion jobs have been administered around the world. And in Slovakia, and in Germany, and in Austria, and in the Netherlands, and in the UK very soon, they'll be asking you to stay at home again. When will these obtuse fuckers have the humility? When will they drop their weapons? Step away from this veneer that they've, you know, disguised themselves with. When will they just step away from it and say, you know what, Richie, you know what? We were fucking conned, weren't we? We were. Welcome to the club. I mean, is it that they fear that we'll be sitting around for the next six months going, nah, nah. Nah, nah. Nah, nah, nah. You were a fucking idiot. Did they really think that? What's wrong with saying I was wrong? Jeez, I was wrong. We're still being told to wear masks and don't kill granny and and stay the feck away from one another even though they've jabbed the living bejesus out of all of us. Well, not all of us. At what point will they say, yeah, I was fucking done there. I think probably never. Never. They'll never admit it. Maybe they never will, and maybe we have to come to terms with that eventuality or that reality, you know? Let me read some more comments on the website. Let me read some more comments. It's richieallen.co.uk. I've got some guests booked in. I could... Hang on, I've got to take some water. I'm still struggling, you know? In, in amongst all of this producing shows five days a week, alone, for your entertainment... 
<clears throat> I'm still struggling. I have been for weeks. Although the steroids, the steroids have done me proud. I don't have the pain in my lungs anymore. And I'm not coughing as more. But, but the, old, the old throat still is a bit sore at the end of the show. So it's getting a bit sore now. I've had no guests. So I've had to carry the, the load of the dialogue. Craig says, Craig imagines a conversation. Why haven't you had a jab, Craig? Says the NHS person. Craig, because I don't want one. NHS, why don't you want one? Craig, because I don't. Now fuck off and mind your own business. It's the end of that conversation. They never rang me. They never texted me because they didn't have my number. They sent me three letters and that was the end of it. Uh, El Frogo Tremendo had about five text messages and they just gave up. Excuse me, nobody attempted to ring her. Nobody attempted to ring her. Here's a quick story to finish with. Listen to this. Listen to this. Ben Wallace is the UK Defence Secretary. He wants to overhaul the army. What the fuck was that? Hang on. He wants to overhaul the army in this country. Now I have a theory that the overhauling of the army is about refocusing the attention of the army away from threats from hostile states that might wish to do harm to the UK, refocusing the army's attention from the hostile states to you and me. Have a listen to this and tell me if you think I'm talking through my sphincter, which I do from time to time. Now, in other news, the MOD is calling it the most radical overhaul of the army for 20 years. And today, the Defence Secretary unveiled further details of the Future Soldier programme as part of a plan to enable the armed forces to deal with new threats. Well, Ben Wallace said every unit would be affected by the changes, which he claimed would allow the British Army to stay relevant and credible. Future Soldier programme. Let's hear... A Sky News reporter whose name is, what's her bloody name, to talk about the details of Ben Wallace's plans. Deborah Haynes is the woman's name. This is Deborah Haynes putting some meat on the bones of the story. What's all this future soldier programme really about? Well, it's going to look a lot smaller, but that's nothing new. The army has been repeatedly reduced in size over the last few decades. And what the Defence Secretary is quite keen to get across is that this new plan that he's presenting today is an honest plan. He was very open uh, about how in the past, when we've had these great fanfare-like reviews announcing new restructuring for the army, it's been based on promises of efficiencies to fund the change that just haven't ever materialised. So what you've been left with is an army in, in size on paper alone without the actual capability and the firepower to back it up. So what he's saying with this plan is the army will shrink by about 9,000 posts to 73,000, but those 73,000 troops will be very specialised, they will be very well equipped. They're looking not just at the conventional infantry soldier, but also the future soldier will be able to operate in the information space, so using images and photographs to push back against fake news launched by enemy troops trying to undermine what they're doing. Wow. 
Did you catch that? Isn't that exciting and sexy? Just at the conventional infantry soldier, but also the future soldier will be able to operate in the information space. So using images and photographs to push back against fake news launched by enemy troops trying to undermine what they're doing. Or by you or by me putting fake news online about vaccine injuries. And they'll also be able to do to fight from a distance. So investment is going to be made in long range missiles uh, and also in surveillance. So to be able to see from a distance using drone technology uh, what uh, enemy forces are, uh, are up to. And as well as that, there's this new regiment called the Ranger Regiment, which is sort of special forces, special operations capable. And they will be able to be deployed in smaller numbers in riskier areas, partnering with um, with, with local forces. And one final thing to mention, if you'll let me. She goes on to talk about tanks, that British tanks will still be deployed in places like Germany, even in the wake of Brexit. Because, of course, the UK has army bases in Germany, as does the United States. She says the tanks will remain in case there's a threat from the east, namely Russia or China. But what was fascinating about that, this future soldier programme, is I believe that they will tailor the army in the near future to look at the people of this country as the real threat to the security of the state and the prosperity of the state people like you and me people who they will say seek to undermine public health by not taking their jabs but also by talking about vaccine injuries and and other things talking about the the fact that climate change the theory that man-made co2 is going to cause a climate crisis that will lead to the collapse of civilization we say it's a load of bollocks we don't comply uh, that's what I heard in that. Call me paranoid if you want. Or you can call me Richie. What do you think of that? Future soldier programmes. It's all very Orwellian, but I, I, I can see that happening. As they, as they scale down the army in terms of numbers, scaling it down to 73,000. We talked on this programme many times over the years, long before the COVID scam, that wars in the future wouldn't be fought with boots on the ground, not as they have been traditionally. We know this. They will continue to develop sophisticated drone technology, super soldiers, uh, non-human soldiers. They they will make increasingly uh, even even more technically capable airplanes, manned and unmanned, that will do all the fighting for them. Long range, she said. So they don't need to be sending troops overseas. Troops are not even needed to protect the borders of the UK. So why else would you need them? Well, you need them to police the population. Get them into doing more online work, she said. But she said online work to combat fake news from hostile states overseas. But that's bollocks. It'll be combating people trying to spread the word about dangerous medicines online. People trying to spread the, spread the word about tyrannical climate change lockdowns to come and all of that. Or am I, again, just being silly and paranoid? I don't know. I think, that, I think I might be onto something. That was Sky News today. That nearly got lost, that, in all the discussion about that dreadful incident with the capsizing of the boat yesterday, which some of you don't believe happened, which is your right. You can believe whatever you want. 
I, I don't know that it did or didn't. It, things like that do happen all the time. But how interesting, eh? How interesting. It's coming up for seven minutes now to the top of the hour. I thought I'd be with you, with witcher even, till about seven o'clock, uh, six o'clock. I thought I'd be long gone and the voice is going now. So I might just toddle off in a moment. Somebody called Exile F <coughs> says they've already started that, Richie. They have the 77th Brigade. I'm well aware of that. I'm well aware of the allegations about the so-called 77th Brigade exile. And you're right to mention it, but I'm, I'm, I'm thinking they'll scale it up using soldiers. And of course, human soldiers will disappear completely in the very near future and will be replaced by these Boston Dynamics things, which David Keane has mentioned on the website. You're absolutely right. What a world it's going to be. I mean, I'm 46. I won't see the worst of it. At least I hope I won't. But for those left, what will it be like after 2050? Mother of divine Jesus Christ, what will it be like after 2050? You're looking at Judge Dredd, right? 2000 AD. You're looking at Blade Runner, all of these dystopian science fiction films that all of them portray these horrible societies with un imaginable, at least when those films came out, unimaginable levels of control held over the population by tyrannical authorities. If it isn't stopped, and I don't know if it can be stopped, that's what it's going to look like in the near future. After 2050, it's mental. Is what it is. It's mental because it's happening. And we are in a tiny minority of people who understand it's happening. And we're trying to come to terms with it. As well, you know, as knowing it. One thing is knowing it, and another thing is coming to terms with it. And then you're surrounded by people oblivious to it. Oblivious. Alison says, Richie, I've just had a row with my daughter. I'm sorry to hear that, Alison. She absolutely refuses to discuss anything that isn't the government narrative. She's going to have her booster... And she will allow her nine-year-old to be jabbed so they can go on holiday next year. She's no idea what's in the jabs, no long-term safety data, but they've booked a cruise and they will take the risk, says Alison. <sighs> Alison, what can you do? What can you do? You and I will speak again on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock UK time. We might do, you might not. You might have no interest in that programme. Sunday morning. Yes, and if I don't speak to you until then, you enjoy your weekend. Thanks for listening to me this week. Thank you for supporting the programme. I do ask that you support the programme. I don't do it very often, but I ask that you do. If you do listen to it, please support it, because it doesn't pay for itself, you know. The Richie Allen Show relies on your support. Visit richieallen.co.uk and make a financial contribution today. Speak on Sunday. Thanks for being with me. As I've already said, I don't need to say that again. Look after yourselves and one another and have a great weekend. Bobby McFerrin closing out today's programme.